Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine podcast about sex. I'm sex columnist Maureen O'Connor, and with me this week in studio, an episode I'm really pumped about, is a writer I first met several years ago when she was 26, I believe, mm-hmm. Katie Haney. Um, at the time, she had just written her first book, a memoir called Never Have I Ever, My Life So Far Without a Date. And Katie, how do you summarize that book? Um, it is sort of uh, like a chronological examination of all the crushes I had from maybe age six to age 24 or so and how each of them failed to turn into anything. (laughs) Um, And it's about, uh, yeah, just kind of feeling like a dating failure. Um, so it's sort of, I don't know, I, at the time, I mean, I love the book. Like it was, I laughed out loud a bunch of times reading it and it was sort of almost, I thought it had almost a sort of like true life confessions of a wallflower vibe. I mm-hmm. mean, the cover even literally has you wearing a dress made to look like the wallpaper behind you. Yeah. Um, so I met you through that. And then since then you're now 29 and your dating life has changed. Yes. <laughs> yep. I have a girlfriend now, <laughs> which was not really part of the I not that anything's part of the plan but like that was not uh, that is a surprise probably to people who had read the first book okay so from my like very very brief version of obviously I mostly just want to talk about how, what what your life has been like since then but from my point of view being like one of those sort of like hmm how do I put this so having met you, and then you're someone sort of peripherally in my life that I ran into you a few times, and obviously I follow you, Instagram, Facebook, everything. <laughs> and what I remember is being like, oh, you know, this girl, like, waiting to see if she's going to, like, have a boyfriend, what's going to happen in her life. And then I remember it was like one day I stumbled across your Instagram, and you had, like, short, spiky, platinum blonde hair mm-hmm. from the old, like, brunette ringlets that I had known you yeah. with. <laughs> and you had a girlfriend, it looked like, um, which to me, I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> and so that's part of why I've been so interested and excited to have you here. So what was the... How did that happen? What happened in the in the Maureen O'Connor zoning out time to the oh my gosh, it's real, it's happening publicly? Um, I it's hard for me to remember the exact timing, but probably about like a year and a half after the first book came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you're so it came out when you were about twenty six. Mm-hmm. So when I'm twenty eight, mm-hmm. um, I, I went through a period uh, when I was twenty seven and twenty eight of like dating a couple guys and feeling frustrated by Mm -hmm. how it turned out and um, kind of just feeling really sad and I was really homesick at that point. um, You just moved from Minnesota to New York. And I was living on the Lower East Side so it was just like... Ultra alienating? Yeah. And (laughs) uncomfortable. I lived in like a room the size of my double bed. Um, Oh my god. So there was a lot of, you know, factors um, contributing to my mood at that time. But... um, I had on and off and mostly off for a really long time just like wondered if I could have been interested in women and Mm -hmm. usually I was like no I'm not because I have crushes on all these guys and like I think they're attractive so uh, it's that would be like too neat of an explanation for why Mm -hmm. I'm not able to like make it work um so I would just always kind of rule it out. And then for some reason this time, I, well, maybe I was, I was seeing a therapist and well, I was seeing, I saw one therapist that I didn't really click with. And then I found another one who I did. And I think talking to her and just sort of feeling like fed up with myself and fed up with just accepting the same old 
like reasons for the way my life was the way it was, um, the next time it, the thought occurred to me, I was like, maybe I should just take this seriously this time. And I just sort of felt like I lost my attraction to men. <laughs> like it just like yeah. went away. <laughs> what, what did taking this seriously entail? Being on like the dating apps and switching it over, switching <laughs> just my literally settings. Hitting the click on your Tinder, yeah. and then you're like, "What?" Yeah. The well, world. at first I did it on Tinder, but like it was in a, in stages where it was like, "Show yeah. me both." But if it's ha- if you have it set to show you both, you'll have to swipe through maybe like eighty guys before yeah. you see one girl, and then she'll go away, and then there's like fifty more. Like the, just the demographics work against uh-huh. you. So then I think I just was like. I'll just switch it over to just women. I don't mm-hmm. know what I'm exactly looking for yet, but that makes more sense just in terms of time put into this. Yeah. Um, and I was on that for a little bit, and then I, I kind of talked to some of my friends at work who date women, and they uh, said that OkCupid was better mm-hmm. because there was just more people on it, and it was more, like, queer-friendly, they thought. So then I switched to that. And, I mean, how did that go when you started talking to people or them talking to you? Um, It was weird. Like, I I think, and this is something I had dealt with a lot in the past, is whenever the thought occurred to me, like, I felt like a poser, kind of. Like, I felt like I was a little bit playing a role or something at first, Mm -hmm. Um, just because you have this image of who you are for most of your life and then all of a sudden changing that it's hard to even buy it yeah me like I I, it's hard for me to buy it um so it felt a little weird and just because I'm like I was like women are my friends like guys are this purpose and women are Mm -hmm. this purpose and it felt more like conscious to have to think of it as like well how I like am I being flirtatious like it just it was kind of harder in that sense just because I felt like the roles were weren't weren't what I was used to but it was easier in the sense that I felt more comfortable and I I wasn't so like annoyed by everything that anyone on there had to say to me (laughs) and um, I was more curious about actually meeting up with people. It's interesting that sort of like boys are for this, girls are for that is sort of a theme in Never Have I Ever a little bit that we mm-hmm. see all these sort of really like heartaching crushes. And yet there's also this sense that, you know, boys exist and you talk about them a lot and you don't necessarily end up in romantic relationships with them. But it's almost like they're a vehicle for your female friendships in some mm-hmm. way, which to me was like the revelation of that book was that I was like, is the point of boys just so I can talk to my girlfriends? Or yeah. like, like sort of what is the point of boys anyways? Right. And I guess in your case, perhaps the point of them was just to talk to your girlfriends. Right. I don't know. And I, I mean, like, it's it's hard for me now because I don't want to go back and kind of yeah. apply a revisionist history and be like, well, I should have known all along. Like, I didn't really feel any... Like, I, I really liked some of those guys, or no, at least yeah, as much as like, you're capable of at whatever age. I know, like, who even... Does sexuality even play into a five-year-old crush? Right. Sometimes <laughs> for some people? Yeah. Not for me when no, I was five. No, it's just, like, cute face, eyelashes. Um <laughs> And so I think that I just, I mean, it's interesting to think about the, like what role they play in friendships because I do feel like now a little bit of that element is gone and I oh, interesting. miss it. You know, I don't know if I'm being paranoid ever when I think about this, but I feel like my straight friends don't 
ask as about my relationship as much as they would have if I mm. were dating a guy. And that's not to say that my friends have not been good about it or no, that they wouldn't yeah. listen if I tried to talk to them about it. But I just feel <clears throat> like I don't – sometimes I wonder if there's something where in trying to be respectful and trying not to make me feel like a zoo animal, they almost overcompensate and don't ask much of anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is probably some – part of me that over ascribes it to it being a woman versus just the nature of how long it's been now or like the lack of drama um, to talk about uh, (laughs) in the early stages. Um, Isn't that weird that when something's going really well, there's sometimes less to talk about? Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) that is very real. Like, and I, I feel like I'm, I was so used to talking about crushes and agonizing over what was going on for so long that in the beginning of our relationship, my relationship now, I, I kind of habitually looked for like a crisis point to like talk to my friends about. Like I felt like there needed to be something that was like constantly being worked on, even though it was sort of just like the natural evolution of a relationship like yeah sometimes you're like crabby with each other sometimes Mm -hmm. you get in an argument like that doesn't that doesn't mean that this is not going well it's like that feeling when you don't know what to do with your hands that you know like you're sitting there and you're like what do i do right things are good Ah." right and i i think i grew to feel more comfortable with feeling like i was in a losing battle (laughs) with my feelings because all my previous crushes had worked out the same way how did people in your life who had known you, who had known the book, who just were sort of used to the idea of like Katie is this perpetually single straight girl, how did they find out or how did you start informing them? Um, I told friends first, um, mostly over like Gchat <laughs> or, you know, various messaging platforms. Um, Why? Was there like a rationale to that or is that just... Um, I think mostly just the convenience of being like, I want to tell them today and I'm not going to see them in person today. (laughs) So this is how I'm going to do it. And I think when I first told people, it was like, hey, just so you know, I have a date tomorrow night and it's with a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it wasn't a bigger announcement than that. Yeah, it's just kind of like, oh my God, here comes a date. Right. uh, The usual. Um, And then I think after the first couple of those dates went well, I emailed my brothers um, mm-hmm. together and told them, and I asked them to rate from one to ten how surprised they thought my parents would be <laughs> if I told them. What did they say? And oh, and I also asked them to rate how surprised they were, mm-hmm. and they both that like one of them gave me like a two, and the other said four, and they said for mom and dad, not sure. Five or six, maybe. Uh (laughs) Um, And I was, like, sort of annoyed that their numbers were so low. (laughs) Um, And then I wasn't really planning. I had a trip scheduled home to Minnesota at the end of August, and I was kind of figuring that I would talk to my parents in person then and not Mm -hmm. before. But then my mom called me or texted me one morning saying that she had this super detailed and realistic dream in which I brought home this man, James, that I had met and was in love (laughs) with. Uh, And she was like, you know, I just, I never dream about things so vividly. And she sort of never, she doesn't ask about my dating life much. So Mm -hmm. it just felt eerie to me. Um, So I called her then 
and told her that I'd met someone. And is that the girlfriend you're with now? Yeah. Amazing. Does her name sound anything like James? No, it's Lydia. (laughs) (laughs) That was just a complete crazy coincidence. Yeah. Not coincidence. Complete random ass. Yeah. Wow. How did she react? Uh, Well, I mean, I think she sort of, she did the, like, mom thing of, like, I said, I wanted to let you know that I have met someone and it's a girl. And she was like, oh. (laughs) And then just like, it's like, okay. And then she just sort of asked, I think, all the questions that she would have asked of anyone. Like, what's her name? What does she do? Like, Mm -hmm. what's she like? How'd you meet? How did you feel like during and after that conversation? Nervous. I mean, I think my heart was pounding. Uh (laughs) I was more nervous to tell, I think, one of my friends than my parents. Um, I felt that my parents would be fine with it just because of their politics and how they've been about everything else. Um, But I I also don't talk to them about that stuff that much. So I was more just like feeling awkward, especially with my dad, just because I I don't talk to my dad about romantic stuff at all. So on the 1 to 10, how surprised do you think they were? I think more surprised than probably me or my brothers thought, but quicker to accept it and to just sort of take it as a given mm-hmm. like they've ne- it's not like they've ever been like are you sure about this mm-hmm. or um do you think that this might like end at some point you know it's so interesting how that sort of like fear of posing is so like omnipresent in i mean in so many parts of life but particularly romance in some way that mm-hmm. you're like is this real or am i faking it like do i like this person or do i not and it's really remarkable to me how much some people seem like they just know from day one exactly how they feel. But, like, I don't know. It makes sense to me of being like, do I? How do I feel? It's yeah. really hard to know. I don't really buy the belief, the just knowing anymore, yeah. I feel like. I feel like I grew up with, you know, despite my best efforts to resist it, I think I was really susceptible to a certain, like, fairy tale narrative and mm-hmm. um, the way that things would work out and... I just, ever since actually being in a relationship and having it be one that I wasn't expecting, I just sort of feel like all that Facebook, you know, (laughs) like, oh, I just knew or like, it's so, like, it just is, I think it's bullshit. Did you ever crush on girls before, before you sort of made a sort of coherent, like conscious thought to open up to it? I did, but for me, it was hard to... Well, first of all, it was like celebrities. Yeah. Um, and so given that and given how in like pop culture it's been for a while now pretty popular to be like, I have a girl crush on someone. Yeah. Like it was hard for me to really distinguish the depth of it. Um, Who are the girls that you crushed on? Uh, so the f- the this is like the most stereotypical first girl crush, but um, – the, the woman who plays Shane on The L Word, Catherine uh, yes. Menig. Um, I was I crushed on her as well, although as far as I know, I'm pretty straight. <laughs> yeah. Well, she – and knows? that's the thing is like when it happened at the time, I remember doing this like some like nervous research online <laughs> and – seeing all these like ask yahoo message boards or whatever <laughs> that were like i think that shane is hot like does that make me 
gay or bisexual. And I was like, oh, okay. So she's just one of those people that kind of does that. Universal sex. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's like the same way I think that Harry Styles is like universally yeah. attractive to everyone. Um, I think I was like, oh, that's just what she is. And then when I, I guess later on felt like I had a crush on Tegan from Tegan and Sarah. Mm-hmm. And, but it was just like, she's so cool and I love their music so yeah. it's probably just more that Or and even if I do think she's attractive she's a celebrity I'll never meet and there hasn't really been like a real life mm-hmm. version to make me take it more seriously yeah so one article that I essay that I read of yours that I loved was um, when you wrote about your wardrobe mm-hmm. and sort of changing your look and then sort of self-doubting about that will you tell me a little bit about that yeah. Um, historically, I've always kind of liked two distinct styles of dressing, and one is kind of uber femi and like the Zoe Deschanel dress model, mm-hmm. like anthropology. Yeah. And then on the flip side, more tomboyish. Mm-hmm. And when I was a little kid, I really dressed like a tomboy, but I've also always or had always liked dresses a lot too. Um, and when I started dating my girlfriend and came out, uh, I just started feeling more uncomfortable wearing my dresses. And I have, like, I still have, you know, some of my favorite dresses from years past. And I sort of mm-hmm. was, like, wanting to wear them, but then would put them on and it just felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Or I just felt like I looked weird. And I was, it was sort of just this weird dissonance of being like, I, this is something that I have always thought looked good on me and that I liked wearing, and now all of a sudden it doesn't. Um, and kind of just trying to figure out what I wanted to wear and what like message I wanted my clothes to send has been like a pretty consistent evolution ever since then because there's times when I'm like I want people to know that I'm queer yeah by how I look but I've also even since writing that essay there have been times where I'm still like I don't know like I kind of do still want to wear this dress today but I would say the general trend has been more tomboyish away from that it's interesting the sort of communicating something that even though it's like you don't need to communicate. It's not like you're trying to find a new girlfriend or right. something. And yet that sense of sort of like what are you and channeling that to the world, mm-hmm. um, sort of an interesting dilemma. Yeah. Do you feel like you had you thought that way before? Yeah. I mean, I think that with clothes, there's – I mean, I think that it's normal for young yeah. women to think about – their audience when they're dressing and I definitely was someone who was always like no I dress, I don't dress for guys I dress for my friends like I want my friends to think my outfit is cool and then yeah. I look like well put together but in college I think especially I was aware of like the type of thing you wear to go out to a bar mm-hmm. when you want attention from guys versus what I would choose for myself like to just be at ease um but I don't think that was it wasn't didn't really go beyond like you know this is what a going out top looks like and it wasn't (laughs) like I was wearing things that I hated it was just um you dress you do dress to fit your context 
When you wrote Never Have I Ever and when you were sort of like talking to people about, you know, finding someone to date and that sort of thing, did anyone ever bring up to you like maybe you're gay or have you tried dating women? Um, yeah. So <laughs> I did a podcast, um, like a book world podcast after the first book came out. And the man who hosted it um, is a little older, like uh, 40s or 50s or something. And mm-hmm. We'd never met before, and he asked me that in a roundabout way, and I was so mad and, Uh like, offended um, in a way that I now sort of regret because it's like, well, I guess I can't say (laughs) he didn't have a point. But at the time, it felt reductive to me because Mm -hmm. I was – and I still do feel for – straight women of a certain age who haven't had a boyfriend but do want one because Mm -hmm. that is a legitimate place to be in your life. And I I felt like by him saying that, it was sort of erasing the possibility that you can be 25 years old and a woman and straight and not have not had a boyfriend yet. And it doesn't have to mean something else. Yeah. Were you a virgin when you started dating your girlfriend? Yeah. I I still, I like, there's still a part of me that's going to always want to object to that, like, terminology. Because yes. it's like, so does that mean, like, the one specific thing hadn't been done? And it's, I know. And like, it's stupid. But well, it's also ridiculous, particularly in this context, because you're like, what? So she's a virgin because she didn't put a penis in her vagina? Right. Well, you're not going to do that now either. Right. Like, right. <laughs> um, I mean, like, you can, but... Right. I know. I always find that really ridiculous, too, because I was talking to another friend who, a straight person who is, you know, now we're 31 and she's still straight. And I think she didn't, quote unquote, lose her virginity until she was maybe like 27 or something. Mm -hmm. But that girl dated all the time, right? Right. And like people would sometimes tell her that, you know, and that used to really, she would get really fucking pissed about that when people were like, are you sure you're not gay? And she's like, I'm, you know, it's a possibility, but I'm pretty sure because you can explore your sexuality in tons of ways and you can also not explore it in any context. Like you could be having a million boyfriends Mm -hmm. and not know that you're gay. Right. You you know, it can make sense to me at least. Right. But people really, really hang on to that like dichotomy. Um, It's strange when also your sort of personal progression gets grafted onto politics in some way, which seems to be something you're sort of gesturing to with mm -hmm. sort of anxiety about how people if people will see, like, a message in your personal life. Right. Yeah, and I feel about it, I, I kind of feel, like, several things about it now, which is that, like, the fact that I didn't have sex with guys and then it turns out it's, quote-unquote, because I'm gay, like, mm-hmm. I don't want that. You don't want the because there. Right, because it's, like, I don't want people, women who are straight, who haven't had sex into their late 20s or 30s or whatever, to feel like they need to have a reason that yeah. they haven't done it besides just not wanting to or, like, not having met someone they want to have sex with yet. Um, I don't like that that's, if that's, like, presented too much as an mm-hmm. explanation. Yeah, the causality is a hard thing. Even when I was inviting you to come on this, I was nervous because I was like, I don't want to overscribe. I don't know, but I mean excitement. But, the ten, like but the tendency, yeah. I mean the and the tendency is there even within myself to try and put things into a narrative, and mm-hmm. I think that it's not wrong of someone to look at how my life has progressed and think like, well, you didn't 
weren't able to really like form a relationship or weren't really as interested in having sex as you would have been otherwise because of this. And on the one hand, I think that's true. But on the other hand, I think, no, there were guys that I wanted to have sex with or so I thought at the time. And then they ghosted on me or something, you know, like it just it fell apart before then we got there for whatever other reason. And it wasn't like I got it. We were about to do it. And I was like, ew, you know, (laughs) Um, so it's hard to not simplify even for me. Is there anything looking back that you would wanted knowing what you know now that you would have wanted to tell the younger Katie, like the Katie that we see portrayed over the course of several decades or two decades, I guess, in your book? Yeah, that's really hard to say, because I think there's always going to be a part of me that feels like I missed out on something like I you know the fact that I can't ever have like a high school sweetheart or I can't have gone through a promiscuous phase in my early 20s um I can't like there's just things about growing up that and how popular they actually are I don't know but that feel very popular that like most people have gone through that I just didn't and so there's a part of me that wants to say I would tell my earlier self to not question things so much and just like go after it but I you know I I got here how I got here and Mm -hmm. I don't there's nothing I particularly regret when I look at it case by case like person by person it's more just a general sense of like a little bit of grief for not having gotten to live certain parts of life that to me feel like rites of passage. Do you find yourself marking or keeping track of rites of passage now? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I think more so earlier on, like, I mean, there were, and there have been date, like, early on, I think that there, my girlfriend knew pretty early on that I hadn't had any other relationships of Mm -hmm. significance. And... So I think, like, one of our earliest dates was going to a baseball game on Coney Island and then, like, going around the park after and going on a ride and, like, Mm -hmm. making out on a bench. And it felt very, like, high schoolish. And she said that as well. And I think, you know, I was actually 28 at the time, but Uh the feelings were, like, of a 16-year-old or 17-year-old date. Um and so that's nice. Because Is that sort of the dream for everyone? The, like, you make me feel like a teenage dream? Yeah. I think I always know I'm really into somebody when all of a sudden I feel like some weird high school regression. Right, right. And so that's... And whether high school level horniness does or doesn't play into that is, <laughs> I suppose, individual. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's a great feeling. I think there's just, like... And, you know, it's like, well, if I had had some of these things happen in high school... That would be cool to have said that it had happened to me, but it also has its downsides. And I know that from, like, talking to my girlfriend where it's, like, she did have, like, some great loves in high school and college, and they broke her heart. (laughs) and It was awful. Mm -hmm. So I don't have that that I, you know, had to go through. So um, I think there's trade-offs always. Do you feel any sense of, like... I don't know, like dating FOMO? Like, is there any part of you that's like, but I've got to meet other women at some point. I need to sleep around. 
Sorry, not to like put the seeds of doubt in you. No, I mean, I think it's kind of the same thing with getting nostalgic over like a high school life I didn't have where I'm like, I occasionally will be like, it would be cool to have already done that, but I don't feel an interest in that now. Like I think... It's really just like, and this is how I always felt about sex too, where it was like, I guess you can tell it's not something that you actually really feel driven to do when you only wish that you could say that you had done it. (laughs) Because that's such a never have I ever. (laughs) Yeah. Like with guys, I was like, it's not like any one of these particular guys I wish I had slept with. But there were times where I was like, if I had just done it when I was... 18 or 20 or some how any age younger than I am now at least I would have gotten it over with and with as far as dating or hooking up with other girls feels it's like maybe for like the story value or the you know relating to other people value it would I can see the merits in having done it but I'm happy now and i try to just accept that rather than like mourning for things that didn't happen. I feel like that's some like essential quest of growing up or of just the feeling of like I this is the hardest thing I have just in general of growing up in general that like I have such a hard time letting go of the feeling of like I want to keep doing all this crazy shit just so I can say I've done you know like just like the idea of being sort of like happy where you are and sort of holding still in either a moment or with a person or with something like that is like so incredibly difficult for me. Right. And difficult like relationship wise too. Right. And I definitely like I was not at all someone who just did things to say that they had. I, I but I also assumed that I, I kept assuming that like once a relationship happened to me or once I got involved with someone, I would just sort of, like, catch up to everyone else. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's sort of been this, like, difficult realization that I can't. Like, I, I'm not yeah. going to catch up. Like, I'll never feel like I did everything that all my friends did and that now we're, like, on an even playing field. And But also, I think probably a lot of people don't feel that way. And I just always assumed that I was, like, the outsider and everyone else was, like we've all achieved this, like, base level of experience together, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um, that's normal. Yeah. And then you're not the normal one. So is there going to be another book about your love life? Yes. Um, I I have a proposal uh, with my agent now, so... Can you tell us the working title or anything? The working title is Would You Rather. Ah! I love (laughs) these so much! (laughs) Uh, Because it obviously goes with the like yeah the game title of the first one um oh my gosh i can't wait to read the next book thank you when it comes together so that's it for sex lives this week thanks so much to our guest katie haney author of never have i ever and some forthcoming books about her love life she's a senior editor at buzzfeed and this is a reminder also that you can always reach our voicemail box at 646-494-3590 So this week, I'd love to hear from people who discovered something about their romantic or sex lives, maybe in their 20s, or when they didn't expect to find out something new, whether it's your orientation, um, the kind of people you're attracted to, or just something about yourself. So that's 646-494-3590. If you like what you hear, rate and review us on iTunes. 
XX Live is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next week, and thanks for listening.